still show, even after some whipping wind had whirled the dirt around. She tried to ensure that the matchstick figures were well spaced out, patrolling the perimeter of the grave, keeping the ants at bay. Fred turned others over so that the writing was face down, where Mrs. Pinney might appreciate it. Then they looked up and saw the thing coming. Comity was more sure than ever that she was dreaming. An angular monster of immense size loomed over the ridge amid a plume of red dust, rolling and rocking as it came, warped by the wavy heat rising out of the ground. The shape gained four spindly legs as the camel beneath it emerged into sight. A camel wearing a house. That was the impression. As the beast came closer, they could see it was bearing not one, but two vast slabs, one on each side of its hump, a wooden crate on one side, a metal tank of slopping water on the other. The tank was a counterweight. Without it, presumably, the camel would simply keel over sideways into a tremendous noise of splintering wood. The outlandish shape lumbered towards them through a blizzard of flying things. The tank's stale water had drawn countless insects and birds. The camel had become a travelling oasis. A single crow perched supreme on the summit of the wooden crate, which was leaking music every jarring step of the way. Behind it came two more camels, lumpy with bundles and boxes, One by one, various other people caught sight of the camel train and came to stare. Camel trains came by once a month, but had never delivered anything like this before. Comedy ran into the house. Pa! Pa! Camels in the yard! Her father did not turn to face her. He was sitting in the machine room, hands clasped on the table edge. The short stems of hair that always stuck out above his ears quivered violently. She could see the macassar oil hanging like teardrops from every strand. Camels in the yard, Pa! Load as big as a house! He did not move. When Mary Triggers said yes to Herbert Pinney's offer of marriage, he'd had to ask her again. Yes was not the answer he'd been expecting. He knew he was nothing much to look at, a timid man with some absurd, finicky ways. Why would anyone, let alone Mary Triggers, agree to marry him? Mary told him he would get used to the idea in time. But he never did. Four years later, disastrously, he was promoted and awarded the post of station master at Kinkindeely Telegraph Repeater Station Number 4. The Overland Telegraph Line was 2,000 miles long, and the messages that pulsed along its wire could no more complete the journey non-stop than a man who set out to walk from coast to coast. Without refreshment, they would fail and die on the journey. So, at regular intervals along the wire were repeater stations, where telegraphers helped the flagging messages on their way. It was work of great importance, but it meant living in the loneliest, most godforsaken patches of nowhere.
on the whole continent of Australia. But for love of Herbert, Mary left behind the sea, her well-to-do mother, her oh-so-respectable sister, her walnut-veneered Habsburg Beale piano, libraries, concerts, and civilization in general, to live at a tiny outpost of the British Australian Telegraph Company, ninety miles from the nearest anywhere. Her new life swarmed with insects. Snuffling, unseen animals spied on her from behind every bush. The laundry she hung on the clothesline turned red whenever the wind stirred up the dust. Her pet cat was gutted by an eagle hawk. But to Herbert's bewildered disbelief, Mary stayed on, reading aloud to him after dinner, teaching comedy her letters and numbers, teaching herself the Morse code.